you'd love to come to Christ. You'd love to be assured of the forgiveness of sins. You'd love to receive all that He offers you in the Gospel. But you are convinced that you are simply unworthy of Him. Maybe one day, maybe once you've cleaned yourself up a bit and sorted yourself out a bit, maybe then, but not yet, not today, not now. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And uh, Jonathan, certainly there are some listening today who can really resonate with that. They have that voice in their head that's saying, no, you can't come to Jesus. You've got too much baggage. Your life is too much of a mess to come to him. He wouldn't want you being the mess that you are. For the person who is thinking those thoughts, hearing that voice, what would you say to them today? Well, I think many people think like that, and many people feel that way. Mm -hmm. And the passage we're looking at today in Matthew's Gospel is so wonderful because it reminds us and it shows us that Jesus often made a beeline for those who were not the respectable ones in society, not the ones who appeared to have it all together, not the ones with a great reputation even. He made a beeline for tax collectors and sinners, to use the language of the passage. And that means that if you're someone who feels unworthy for Jesus, well, you're probably just the kind of person Jesus is interested in. What a great uh, truth to think about as we begin this message, the call of the kingdom. If you can, grab a Bible. Join us in the book of Matthew chapter 9. Once again, here is Jonathan. In recent verses here in Matthew's Gospel, we've been seeing the power and the identity of Jesus revealed in these miracles, in the wondrous works that he has done. Last week, we saw the authority of Jesus revealed in that healing of the paralytic and in the declaration of the forgiveness of sins. But in our passage this morning, the emphasis shifts just a little away from the identity of Christ now and to the invitation and to the call to follow him. And in these verses, in this passage, Jesus answers some key questions about that call. In particular, what kind of people does Jesus call to be his followers? And having called us, what exactly does he call us to? We start with the first of those questions. What kind of people does Jesus call? To whom does he issue his invitation The answer actually to that question is quite simple, and it comes at the end of verse 13. You'll have noticed it as I read. Jesus calls sinners and not the righteous. That's what he says. I know that quite a number here in this room work for the Canada Revenue Agency. I know a number here in this room are modern-day tax collectors. Now, right right at the outset, we want you to know that we love you and we, we welcome you. You may feel just a touch of hostility in some quarters, an undertone of wariness from some people in our society, but this is a safe place for you. This is a place of acceptance. This is a place of love. Tax collectors may be the objects of the odd friendly joke or the recipients of the odd grumpy telephone call in our day, but being a tax collector in Jesus' day, now that was a whole other thing. You see, the tax collectors in Palestine, they had sided with the Romans who had annexed the Holy Land, the home of the people of God. They had annexed it and taken it over. Tax collectors like Matthew, who might be Israelites themselves, would normally be Israelites, 
they collected money for the Romans and sent it to Rome. And not only were these people seen as traitors in Jesus' day, but they had something of a reputation for corruption and extortion, taking more than was required by law and keeping a healthy chunk, a healthy commission for themselves before sending the rest on to Rome. And so you can just imagine how the people of Israel felt about those Israelites who had signed up to work for the Romans and to do this kind of work. I don't know, it would be a a little like the Americans colonizing Canada. U.S. troops come kind of marching in. They take over the joints and then recruit workers in your neighborhood to collect taxes for the IRS down in Washington. Now, imagine if your neighbor on your street signed up to serve at the president's pleasure, collecting money for Uncle Sam. How would he be viewed? How would she be viewed? Well, here's this tax collector. He's sitting at his booth collecting the cash. It's clear who he is. It's clear what he's doing. And Jesus goes straight up to him. He makes a beeline for him. And he says, come, follow me. And if that isn't astonishing enough, the next bit is even more astonishing. Matthew, the tax collector, he stands up. He leaves his little booth of iniquity and he follows Jesus that a religious leader like Jesus would call a tax collector to follow him. That's a bit unorthodox. But what happens next seems frankly shocking. Jesus and his disciples now go into the tax collector's house and proceed to sit down and enjoy a meal with him and his friends with this motley crew of tax collectors and other sinners. It's one thing to bump into someone on the street corner and have a conversation with them. Quite another thing to go into their home and yet another thing to sit down and to have a meal with them. Well, shocked and disgusted, the Pharisees demand to know what's going on here. Why on earth would Jesus do this? Jesus replies that he has come to call precisely this type of person to himself. Verse 12 On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. If anyone viewed themselves as being righteous, as being right in God's sight, the Pharisees viewed themselves as precisely those people The Pharisees, you may know, were a particularly conservative party within Judaism in that day, scrupulously religious and carefully law-abiding. They saw themselves as the guardians of God's law, and they saw themselves as the exemplars of Jewish learning and Jewish living, and they were more than happy to identify and to point the finger at those whom they counted as sinners, those who failed to meet their rigorous standards of law-keeping and of righteous living, who failed to live as any God-fearing Israelite should. Tax collectors would have been very high up on their list of sinners, collaborators with Romans, betrayers of the people of God, collaborators, thieves, extorters. 
sinners, if any were. And part of the way that the Pharisees guarded their own standing as a holy tribe, as truly righteous people, part of the way they guarded that was through avoiding any association with sinners, avoiding any fellowship with them, avoiding contamination by such people. Now that's the mindset and that's the outlook that stands behind their horrified question. Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and with sinners? If he views himself as a religious teacher, a teacher of the law, a leader of the people of God, why on earth would he undermine his own standing, his own credibility, his own righteousness by associating with people like that? What's he doing? What is he thinking? And Jesus' reply to them is at once both logical and surprising. I have come for sinners, not the righteous, he says. I have come for those who know they are sinners, who are clear about that fact, not for those who see themselves as righteous. I have come for the needy, not for those who think that they have no need. I have come for the sick, not for those who assume that they are well. As we continue on in Matthew's Gospel, we'll see again and again that those who viewed themselves as religious insiders those who saw themselves as the righteous, among the righteous, that they are actually the people who are most likely to be most opposed to the Lord Jesus Christ and the most self-deluded about their own sin. In the opening chapters of the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul goes out of his way to prove to self-righteous people that they are actually just as sinful and just as needy of the mercy of God as other people. Uh, at the conclusion of the argument in those opening chapters, Paul says this, Romans chapter 3 and verse 9, What shall we conclude then? Are, are we any better, we, the, the Jewish people, the Israelites, the religious insiders, are we any better? Not at all. We have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are under sin. As it is written, here's the key part, there is no one righteous, not even one. No one who understands, no one who seeks God, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Jews and Gentiles alike, religious people and non-religious people alike, respectable people and unrespectable people, all are under sin. There is no one righteous, not even one. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, says Jesus, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Now, clearly Jesus isn't saying that there are some like the Pharisees who are actually righteous and actually have no need of him. Clearly not in light of Romans chapter 3. Clearly not in light of what Jesus will go on to say about these religious leaders here in Matthew's Gospel. No, what Jesus is dealing with here in verse 13 is the Pharisees' self-perception, their view of themselves as being righteous. You think you're well, says Jesus. You think you're righteous. You think you have no need of forgiveness, no need of me, no need of healing. Well, if that's what you think, and that's the way in which you see yourself, then my invitation is not for you. If that is the state of your heart, then I have not come for you. No, I have actually come for those whose self-perception is this. I'm sick. And I need healing. I'm unrighteous and I know it. I'm covered in guilt and covered in shame. 
I'm a spiritual outcast and I need forgiveness. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called The Call of the Kingdom. Taking a look today at the kind of people that Jesus does call. And we're going to get back to this message from Matthew chapter 9 in just a moment. I want to let you know if you ever join us late or you can't stay with us through the end of the program or you just want to go back and listen to a broadcast again, you can always do that by coming to our website. You can listen to each and every program there. The website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. And while you're there, I want to ask you to consider a gift of support because that's how we keep this broadcast on this station each day. It's because of your generosity we're able to bring you Jonathan's teaching. And as you give a gift, we want to say thank you by sending you Checkbook of the Bank of Faith. It's a book of devotional writings from C.H. Spurgeon, one of the great Victorian preachers. In fact, he was known as the Prince of Preachers, and his sermons drew thousands to his church. Again, we'd love to send you a copy of his book, Checkbook of the Bank of Faith, as you support Encounter the Truth this month. You can give your gift online at EncounterTheTruth.org or when you call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884. Well, if you have just joined us, we are in the book of Matthew, looking at chapter 9, verses 9 to 17. We're going to continue the message, The Call of the Kingdom, Once again, here is Jonathan. In verse 13, Jesus sends these religious types off to do a bit of Bible study. They were meant to be Bible experts after all. That's how they prided themselves. But Jesus says, you need to go back to your Old Testament and you need to learn what this means. You haven't understood it. Go and wrap your head around this. Go and learn what this means, says Jesus. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. As you'll see from the little footnote at the bottom of the page in your Bible, those words come from the prophecy of Hosea from chapter 6 and verse 6. Hosea is a hard-hitting book, and chapter 6 is a hard-hitting chapter. God is addressing His people and telling them why He has brought judgment upon them. And He says this to them, Hosea chapter 6 and verse 4, What can I do with you, Ephraim? What can I do with you, Judah? Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears. Therefore, I cut you in pieces with my prophets. I killed you with the words of my mouth. My judgments flashed like lightning upon you, for I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. There's sin There is wrongdoing among my people. Your love for me, it just comes and goes. You're moving through the religious motions. You're giving sacrifices and burnt offerings. But what I really want, says God, is to see your heart and to see your behavior transformed. What I really want is for you to truly acknowledge me. What I really want is true mercy toward others, true faithfulness toward me. Now that was God's message to his people on the lips of his prophet in the 8th century BC in Hosea. And it's his message again on the lips of Jesus in the 1st century AD. I am not impressed by your going through the religious motions. What I actually want is a changed heart. Your sacrifices, your temple worship, they're not impressive to me. One of our pastoral team here recalled this week an anecdote by the great 
Victorian preacher Charles Spurgeon, speaking on the theme of Jesus' gracious invitation to sinners, Spurgeon told this story about a crossing sweeper, someone in Victorian times who swept the dirty street ahead of a wealthy person in exchange for a tip. It's a fairly common occupation, I gather, for the urban poor in the 19th century. Spurgeon writes this, A great artist some short time ago had painted a part of the city in which he lived, and he wanted for historic purposes to include in this picture certain characters well known in the town. A crossing sweeper, unkempt, ragged, filthy, was known to everybody, and there was a suitable place for him in the picture. The artist said to this ragged and rugged individual, I will pay you well if you will come down to my studio and let me take your likeness. He came round in the morning, but he was soon sent about his business, soon sent away, for he had washed his face and combed his hair and donned a respectable set of clothes. He was needed as a beggar and was not invited in any other capacity. Even so, says Spurgeon, the gospel will receive you into its halls if you come as a sinner and not otherwise. Wait not for reformation, but come at once for salvation. God justifies the ungodly, and that takes you up where you now are. It meets you in your worst estate. I think it's very natural for us to assume that Jesus wants the good and the respectable people to follow him. Normally, in most contexts, when any person or organization is seeking new recruits, they want the very best. Of course they do. If a company is hiring workers, they want the very best laborers. If a school is recruiting students, they want the very best academics. If a team is recruiting players, they want the very best athletes. And so when Jesus comes on the scene recruiting followers and subjects for the kingdom of God, surely he wants the most impressively righteous people he can find. And maybe that would be the case, but for the fact that we thought of a moment ago, no one is righteous, no, not one. And so actually what Jesus is looking for is people who are openly honestly, even painfully aware of their needs. He's come for sinners. He calls sinners. He welcomes sinners. And in a few short chapters in Matthew's book, of course, he will go to the cross to die for sinners, to pay the price of our wrongdoing, and to do all that is needed to clear our record of wrong and to make us right with God. If Jesus came for righteous people, if he could find righteous people, then the cross would ultimately be unnecessary. But he came for sinners, praise God. He gave his life for sinners. Now, I want to pause on this point and just underline it a bit because I think we are actually slow to believe it. And I expect that there will be some here even this morning who have never been truly convinced of it. You'd love to come to Christ You'd love to be assured of the forgiveness of sins. You'd love to receive all that he offers you in the gospel. But you are convinced that you are simply unworthy of him. You believe that Jesus could not welcome someone like you. Someone with a history like your history. With baggage like your baggage. With defilement and guilt like your defilement and guilt. Maybe 
one day. Maybe once you've cleaned yourself up a bit and sorted yourself out a bit. Maybe then, but not yet. Not today. Not, not now. The great evangelist Billy Graham in his evangelistic campaigns as he issued that offer of salvation he always had the huge crowd sing the same song of response many will know it by heart i had its words just going through my head as i spent time in this passage this week just as i am without one plea but that thy blood was shed for me And that thou bidst me come to thee, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, and waiting not to rid my soul of one dark blot. To thee whose blood can cleanse each spot, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, though tossed about with many a conflict, many a doubt, fightings and fears within, without, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, poor, wretched, blind, sight, riches, healing of the mind, yea, all I need in thee to find, O Lamb of God, I come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive, wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relieve. Because thy promise I believe, O Lamb of God, I come. It's a wonderful model of response. It sums up so well all the layers of feeling and the processes of thought that the sinner has in coming to the Savior. And it helps give words and articulation to those feelings of the heart, the feelings of the heart that are there in any person who is truly prepared to respond to Jesus. And the point is, of course, that we come to Jesus simply as we are. All of us here who have come to him, that is how we came to him. And if you today are holding back from coming to Jesus, from answering his call to follow, let me urge you, let me invite you, come to him just as you are. In fact, if you today are feeling like you're just not good enough for Christ, if you feel I'm too much of a sinner for him, well, that is actually the very qualification he requires. It means you are the very kind of person he came to call and came to save. Many of us have, of course, come to him and are walking with him, but our problem and our challenge today, it is rather different. Having come to him as sinners in need of a savior, Months and years and perhaps even decades down the line, we've actually started to forget how it was that we came to him all those years ago. We've forgotten the basis upon which we stand. Now, some years on, perhaps having been changed, having been delivered from some sin in our lives, perhaps the danger is that we've come to look on ourselves rather as these Pharisees, looked upon themselves. We're drifting into a kind of religious smugness that quietly and unspokenly assumes that we're somehow more worthy than other people of the mercy and the grace of God, somehow more deserving of his favor than the really outrageous sinners are. And we forget that we first met Jesus, not as religious people with something to offer him, but as sinners desperately in need 
of a Savior. Jonathan Griffiths today here on Encounter the Truth in a message called The Call of the Kingdom, taking a look at Matthew chapter 9 and verses 9 to 17 today. This message is part of a larger series called Kingdoms Colliding. And if you've missed any of the broadcasts in the series, you can always come to our website and you can listen online. Just come to EncounterTheTruth.org. That's EncounterTheTruth.org. And while you're there, I want to ask you to consider a gift of support because we're able to keep this broadcast on the station because of your generosity. And as you give, we want to send you a book called Checkbook of the Bank of Faith. It's written by C.H. Spurgeon. He wrote a bunch of devotional writings years ago, encouraging believers to enter into the full provision that the relationship with Jesus entitled them to realize. These devotions have been put together in this book, Checkbook of the Bank of Faith. Again, it's our gift to you as you support Encounter the Truth this month. Give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or when you call us at 833-99-TRUTH. You can also drop a check in the mail if that's easier. Our address is Encounter the Truth, 2176 Prince of Wales Drive, Ottawa, Ontario, K2E0A1. Well, thanks for listening. For Jonathan and for our producer, Mark Breda, I'm Steve Hiller. I hope you'll tune in next time.